You're listening to a podcast from Victory. How can we emerge triumphant in the face of temptation? Find out in week three of Rise and Fall. We're going through a series called Rise and Fall. It's a word study of the different leaders or kings in the Bible. Hey, last week, Pastor Daniel talked about uh, King Saul. All right. In the week before that, uh, we've talked about also uh, Abimelech. He was one of the judges, a son of uh, Gideon. And we're going through this series basically to, to know and understand and, you know, be able to draw out valuable lessons, especially in leadership. And mind you, you know, it's already elections. And I think the best way we could really ask God for wisdom is to really study God's Word. That's why we were going through the whole series. Amen. Now, the Bible, the study of Bible characters is not new, okay? Even our early church during the time of Paul, they studied these uh, characters. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this. Oh, by the way, this is our title, Wins and Losses. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, he said that now these things happened to them, referring to Israel, as an example. But they were written down for what? For our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So you see, this is very, very important. We, we dig into the word, understand the examples that the Bible, you know, is saying. With that, we can draw out leadership values. And that's great. Especially in this, in this coming election, when you talk about this election, if you, if you're going to vote out there, we need the wisdom of God. Amen. Okay, now there are two big differences between King Saul and King David. Okay, last week when Pastor Ariel talked about King Saul, we understand that he, he actually rose to power. He was okay at the beginning and then he basically had pride and disobeyed God. So God took away the kingdom from him and gave it to someone else who was after God's own heart. Of course, that's David. We all know that. But if you look at Two kings, King Saul and King David, there's a big difference, okay? During that time, the people demanded a king. Understand that God was the king of Israel, right? But the people wanted a, a king who's, who's a human being. So they demanded a king, and of course, we all know the story. God said, okay, just obey them, Samuel, just give him the king, and they got Saul. In other words, King Saul became the people's choice, Right? The stark difference between our king that we'll be studying today, King David, is different. King Saul was the people's choice. They demanded that king. But David was God's choice. David was not the people's choice. And let's ponder there just for a moment because we're preparing for that election thing. And we need to understand that, you know, between what the survey says about our leaders and what God says... It's quite important to, to, to consider. We're going out to vote there this May 9. We need to ask God, Lord, who is your choice? Amen. Sometimes we want to demand this kind of leadership. This is the leadership that we want. This is the leadership that can bring us to the next six years. But I think the best, the best way to handle this is that, God, who's your choice? So that is what we will be studying in this series called The Rise and Fall. Everybody stand up to your feet. On your feet, and let me read in First Samuel 11, verse 1 to 5. It's a lengthy scripture, so please uh, follow along. Let's read. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab 
and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman and the one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Second Samuel 11 verse 14 to 17. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him and he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Let's bow down our heads and pray. Father, we ask God that you open our hearts and our minds today. Let your Holy Spirit come. Anoint the preaching of your word. May we understand the scriptures, but most of all, may we understand your heart for your people. Lord, thank you, God. We give you back all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was about uh, six years old, one of the well-loved Bible stories was the, the story, that epic battle of David and Goliath. How many of you enjoyed that? When I was young, that's basically, you know, when we were young, okay, for your information, those, the young ones, the young today, I mean, uh, we didn't have any uh, internet. We didn't have any color television. We only had black and white TV. And we have only about five channels, I guess. And yeah, I know, it's sad, right? Yeah, it was so sad. And it was all local. We didn't have those ESPN, HBO, and all of that. And, you know, we, we as a kid, you know, we, we love sitting down and listen to stories. And one of the stories, really, that I, I got so hooked in was the story of David and Goliath. I mean, if you were a young boy and you hear of a shepherd boy, you know, by, by a pebble stone and a slingshot, hits a giant and then slays him. <laughs> and you know, it's an amazing thing. To me, looking at David, he was my hero. I don't know if you, if you were that, but you know, that's the only story I know about him until I found out you know, later the story, his real story. But David, among all the kings of Israel, was the most celebrated king in the history of, of course, the kingdom. Why? Because he was God-ordained. He was the choice of God. In fact, if you look at it, his name appears 1,034 times in the whole Bible. And out of the 66 books, 28 books refer or has reference of King David. That means 42% of the whole Bible basically talks about David. You can't miss this. David is, is someone that's very an important character in the history of Israel and even in the Bible. Now, King David took throne about 1013 BC, 
when it was what we call the United Kingdom. Okay? It's not UK, the United Kingdom as we speak now. But United Kingdom of three kings, King Saul, and then we have David and King Solomon. In fact, next week we're going to talk about King Solomon, but this week it's King David. Now, David's story starts off as a, as a shepherd boy. We all know the story. He tended the sheep. He was a nobody. But he loved to play music. You all know that, right? He had a harp. He was skillful in that. And he was a poet. He was a composer, writer. In fact, over half of Psalms were written by King David himself. When you look at this, this, this hero of mine, he was a real warrior, a national hero as we know him. He was a giant slayer. And the songs were just written about this king who slew tens of thousands. That actually, you know, made King Saul jealous about this guy. That's why he became a fugitive. And the question is, how did this happen? How can David, this guy, rise to power? And I believe this is what he said in one of the Psalms he wrote in Psalm 40, verse 8. He said, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. So when you look at the success of David, it was never about his ability. It's not his appearance. In fact, people didn't like him. His father was shocked that he would be the next king. He was to be anointed king. He was a nobody. I believe this is what he said. Because David relied on God. I delight to do your will. David wanted to do God's will. In fact, he was known to be again a man after God's own heart. That's our David. But the question lies today is this. How can a man who loved God, who did the will of God, who was after God's own heart, commit the most heinous and vilest crime in the history of Israel? What happened? What went wrong? From a, from a saint, he became a sinner. From a lover, he became an adulterer. From a man of integrity, he became a liar. And from a savior of his people, he became a murderer. What went wrong with this man? Think about that. Hopefully this afternoon, as we go through those scriptures, there are two lessons that we can learn. And number one is the power of sin. And second one, the power of God's grace. Can you say that with me? The power of sin. The second one is the power of God's grace. Let's look at what David did. Okay, this is the power of sin at work in the life of David. In 2 Samuel, what we've read in our scripture, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now you need to understand that it was not normal for, for, um, for kingdoms to fight during winter time. So in springtime, it's like the day of battle. In winter, they can't go across because it's wet, it's cold, it's hard for the, for, the whole, you know, for the whole battle campaign to go through. So every spring, battles were fought in Israel. And this was, this was the usual thing. It was a custom that w during springtime, kings okay, would go off to battle. But we all know, we've, we've read that David decides to stay. It was very different. This time, there was a, a different David that came. David remained in Jerusalem. In other words, David 
deviates from his calling. If I were to travel from here to Mongolia, okay, uh, plugging, we're going to a 10-day trip to Mongolia. So please pray for us. Intercessors, yeah, pray for us. If I were to travel from here to Mongolia and take the plane and we'll plot our, you know, our flight plan and decide, we decide to deviate about, say, about just one degree to the right. Question, would I arrive in Mongolia? Probably not. Just one degree. If this is the line and this is one degree, guess what? As you go forward, it, it widens up. David deviates from what kings do. Slight deviation. Why was that? What was David thinking about? You know, some preachers say that David was not in the center of God's will when sin began to creep in. What was he thinking about? You know, I have a friend in Baguio City, and I cannot forget what he told me. He said this to me, that the greatest test in a man's life is not found on his greatest trials, but on his great success. You know, success can really get the best of us. When we start to think that, you know, I have arrived, (laughs) then we're setting ourselves up for a fall. Since power is not that mighty, thunderous kind of explosion that happens in your life, since power basically comes in in a very slow and subtle way, the power of sin is not explosive. Sin didn't just happen just like that. But it happens in a slow and subtle way. David thought that, hey, I am the king. I have now arrived. I have the power and I have the authority and I can do what I want. Nobody in his kingdom can contest that, right? Because he's the king. After all, he is the king. Remember, he he killed tens of thousands. He became a national hero. He's got a winning streak. You know, and says, "Ah, I think I deserve a rest. That's how it is when success could come into you. David thought that nobody can contest him. So, in 2 Samuel 11 verse 2, it happened. Everybody say, it happened. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. And mind you, walking, in the Hebrew word for walking was not just walking all the way. Walking was like walking back and forth. That's a Hebrew word for walking in this scripture. So he was walking around. He was just doing nothing. Basically walking around. So he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Hmm. David now becomes off guard. He becomes complacent. You see, when success would come to us, the tendency is that we put our guards down. I can rest this time because, you know, it's my right now. So David brings down his guard. He becomes complacent. In fact, he becomes idle. You've seen the scripture. It says that he was lying on his couch. Doing what? Being a couch potato. I don't know, probably watching TV if there was television before. But this guy, this guy is doing nothing. He was idle. 
J. Kelly, in the Scottish proverb in 1721, said, If the devil finds a man idle, he'll set him at work. If the devil finds a man idle, he'll set him at work. In other words, a person who doesn't have something particular to occupy himself with will be tempted to occupy himself with sin. And this is what happened to David. And of course, the power of sin is not an explosive thing. It suddenly crept into David's life. And here he is now. David is tempted. Here it is. I am tempted. Beautiful woman. I've seen this beautiful woman. I'm tempted. So what does he do? He sends out a group of people to ask and inquire about this woman. Can you please ask who this woman is? And the, of course the servant said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Now you need to understand that Bathsheba was no ordinary woman. She was nobility. She was the daughter of Iliam. Who's Iliam? You all, know, you all remember you know, the, uh, David's mighty men? You all remember that? And they were all in this cave in Adullam, right? Remember this? And they were all fearful. But they rose to become mighty men of David. Well, guess what? Iliam was one of them. Iliam was one of the f- mighty men of David. Can you imagine? So the servant says, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of your comrade, the one who gave his life for you, the one who volunteered his life to save you from Saul while you were running away from the f- as a fugitive? You remember this? Not only that, the servant said that this is the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Remember the Hittite? He's not, he's not Jew, but this guy also is one of your mighty men. In other words, wake up, David. There were already early, you know, there were fair warnings to David not to go through with this. But then again, sin is not an explosive thing. It comes in, creeps in in a slow and subtle way. So David now goes, goes for it. David sins. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 4. So David sent messengers and what? Took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. Now think about this. This whole sin that David was doing was not just about him. There's no passage here in Scripture that says that Bathsheba, you know, refused. In fact, there was no struggle. There was no, 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 don't touch me. You know, no, no, limitangere, you know what I'm saying? No like that. But she gave in. She gave in. Of course, the biggest blame is on David. But we cannot also, you know, um, remove the fact that Bathsheba is also guilty. Amen. So, what happened? So David sent messengers, took her, and she, became, she came to him and lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. So imagine this. One look, one inquiry, a perverted desire. Then David gives in to the temptation, goes for Uriah's wife, and committed adultery. Now some people might say this is just a one moment of weakness. Ah, Pastor, this is just one moment of weakness. It's just... You know, one-time thing for David. Who are we to judge, right? Now look, this sin didn't come overnight. 
Some of you might think that this is just a one-time thing for David, but no, it did not happen overnight. Let's look at what Moses talked about in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17. This is like a, you know, the Mosaic law. That if Israel will get future kings, it says that he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Or shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Can you imagine that? Moses was already saying this law about if we get future kings, this king shall not acquire many wives. But David had many wives. From the daughter of Saul, she got a widow, Abigail. Then there's Ahinoam, and the rest is history. David acquired more and more wives, which was a no-no. Why? Because his heart may turn away. That's what the, the Bible says. In fact, David Gusick said that David's practice of adding wives showed a lack of romantic restraint and an indulgence of his passions. This corrupt seed sown long ago grew unchecked long enough and would bear bitter fruit. So finally it happened. David turned his heart away from God and he committed adultery. But guess what? To David he said, this is just a one-time thing. No one will know. I'm king. It's just a one-night stand, right? But what happened? To his surprise, in verse 5, the woman conceived and she sent and told David, David, I'm preggy. I'm pregnant. It's your child. David was shocked. The worst thing that could ever happen is that, you know, he will have a child from an adulterous affair. He wasn't ready for that. And the worst part is this. He now tries to cover up his sin. He calls back Uriah from the battlefront. He called, the, called Uriah. Okay, scheming. He was asking Uriah, you know, Uriah, uh, give me a report of the battle happening out there, you know. Uh, well, king, the king, the, we're fighting the Ammonites. We're winning. We're gaining ground. But it's not yet there. We're not yet there. Good, good. You know, you, know, you need to relax, Uriah. Let's have a drink. Let's have a toast. He, he gives a drink to Uriah, gets him drunk, and he said, you know, go home to your wife. Okay? You know, enjoy your time here. Relax. Thinking, scheming that he can cover up his sin. What happens? Uriah stays at the palace with the palace guards. Then go to his wife. Why? Because Uriah was a man of integrity. In the heart of Uriah, he said, Why would I have this pleasure now when my brothers at arms are there fighting our battle? So he decides to stay. And David's cover-up plan fails. Plan A, you know, sin will bring you to where you wouldn't want to go. The cover-up was getting, you know, getting harder. So he schemes again. Okay, this time differently. He sends Uriah in the front line with the other mighty men and commits the heinous crime or the vilest crime of murder. David now becomes Callius. You know, you know what I'm saying? When you're Callius, you're numb. There is no feeling anymore. Can't have this feeling anymore. 
a fight pala yun, okay? 2 Samuel 11, verse 14 says, In the morning, this is what David did to cover up. His plan B, okay? This is plan B now. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Can you just imagine that? This guy gives a letter to Uriah. And Uriah didn't know a single thing. He was holding his death sentence. He's going out. Give it to Joab. In verse 15, it says there in the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be what? Struck down and die. So verse 16 says, And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. So what happened? The men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah, the Hittite, also died. You know, the power of sin can, can make our hearts numb. The power of sin made David's heart callous from, from, you know, from, from feeling the consequences he's been doing. He's unaffected by what he was doing. Unmoved by his crime. And worse, after doing that, when Uriah died, gets Bathsheba and marries Bathsheba as if nothing happened. Think about that. The power of sin is not an explosive thing. It's so subtle and it's so slow until it gets you hooked and you cannot get out. David, David plunged into this. Church, we just cannot underestimate the power of sin. Sin is like a small seed in our hearts that if planted in the right soil, will flourish and grow. The moment that you and I would think that we are not capable of doing sin, guess again, we are in danger of falling. Not me. I can't. I'm not a murderer. You ever think of that? I mean, if you're if you're listening to this story, and you're thinking, "No, nah, I won't do that. Nah, I can't do that. I'm born again." How many of you are born again? That's all of us, right? I'm in Christ. No way. If you think you're not capable of doing sin, guess again. If David himself a man of God, a man after his own heart, fell into that trap. It can happen to you and me. Are you still here? It can happen to the very best of us. You see, Jeremiah wrote this. He said that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We need to be careful of what kind of seeds we entertain in our hearts. We need to be careful. Seeds of envy, maybe. Seeds of jealousy. Revenge. Especially when you're angry, you know, with uh, traffic and somebody cuts you. You just want... <clears throat> seeds. Seeds are very small. Amen. Right? You know, my daughter went in my room last night and said, Look, Dad, look, Dad, it's a nut. I found a nut. Where? From the pomelo fruit. <laughs> Pomelo, yeah. I said, no, 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 that's a seed. It's so small. It's not the fruit yet. It's tiny. It's insignificant. In fact, 
you know, she broke it and it crumbled and it's dead. Seed. And sin is like that. It starts off with the seed. And if we're not careful enough, if the seed would fall into a rich, sinful soil, it will grow. Hopefully today, while, while we have seeds of, of sin already happening inside, let's crush it. Let's not make it grow anymore. Amen? Let's not compromise our status in God. If these seeds really fall on the right soil, you'll be surprised what you are capable of. Amen? That's why how foolish we are to think that sin has no consequence. Sin has a consequence. Okay? Jeremiah in verse 10 also wrote this. He said, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. We will have to give an account of whatever deed we do here on earth. We just cannot dismiss the fact that sin has no consequences. To God there are. At the end of life, maybe not today. Think of me for a while. Uh, David had about five or over five wives already. And God didn't deal with, Dave, with David with those five wives. Why is it? Did you ever wonder why? So David thought, you know, since I don't have any rebuke from the Lord, I can have one, one wife from another wife to another wife and another wife. You know, it really speaks of God's grace in our lives. Amen. But do not, do not underestimate also that sin has a consequence. So David thought that there was no consequence. But the consequence came in verse 10 of Second Samuel chapter 12. Now therefore... The Bible says, The sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. How foolish it is when we think that sin has no consequence. Look, David, the consequence, okay? The consequence, David lost their love child, the adulterous affair love child. Secondly, his daughter was raped by his son. Thirdly, his other son was murdered by his other son. And then there was a civil war led by another son. And there was a son who imitated his lifestyle. And you will discover him next week. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Think about that. So the lesson learned here is this. Do not underestimate the power of sin. Now, maybe at this point you're saying, Pastor, we're hearing about the sin of King Saul last week and we are also looking at the sin of David. I mean, think about that. You mean to tell me we want to learn from these leaders who are sinners? Someone once said that, you know, our Bible contains so many Bible characters who are flawed, who sinned against God. How can this, how can this be? Sinners. But here's the thing. The message of the Bible was never about a, finding a perfect example to follow. Because nobody was perfect. You go through the Bible from cover to cover, there's only one person who was perfect. His name is Jesus, right? The rest of the Bible characters from Abraham. Abraham lied. Jacob deceived. Um, Moses disobeyed God. The apostle Peter 
denied Jesus three times. I mean, think about of all these Bible characters, nobody was ever perfect, right? But the Bible message is never about a, a perfect person, a perfect leader, a perfect example. The message of the Bible is far more than just that. It's about the power of God's grace. I hope we don't miss that. The power of God's grace, which, which I want to share. The message of the Bible is about a people who cannot save themselves from the power of sin, but only through the power of God's grace. Amen. So our second lesson we can learn from this, know the power of God's grace. Now let's look at how the power of God's grace worked in the life of David. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men. Before I continue, now the grace of God comes in the form of a prophet, okay? Didn't come in in a form of an accusation from a prophet, but it came in with a case, a parable, sort of a parable. Now, kings were the judge before. You all know this, right? They were the judge. They listened to cases like this. So Nathan went to David and said, Hey, hey, king, I have something here. I have a case. So David listens. And here it is. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to it of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. Now, the, the Hebrew culture, they're well known for hospitality, right? So every time a stranger comes along, they, they have to throw a feast. That's culture. So this traveler goes to this rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took what? The poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then in verse 5 and 6, here it is. Then David's anger was greatly kindled. He was angry. Some say this was like the mirror of David. He got angry. Why? Because he was guilty. He saw this case and said, you know, he was so angry. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He was angry. And he shall, he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Now if you look back in, in Scripture with the commandments of Moses, all he needs to do is just pay fourfold. But not to die. But David was angry. He says, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Here it is. The grace of God entering David. God brings His grace through a prophet, not in an accusing manner, not in a condemning manner, but draws out the callous heart from David. There was like a heart operation coming in, taking out that callous heart, taking that 
guilt. See, that's the grace of God that comes. You know, many times when we, when we see people fall into sin, the first thing that, we, that comes to our mind is our self-righteousness. When we look at other people because, ah, yan, adulterer yan. That's an adulterer. That one has no husband. She has three kids with three different husbands. Now, many times we, we look at people at, at, at that and miss the whole point of the Bible. We look at people as if, you know, wow, I'm better. Sometimes we have this self-image that, you know, we're better than the rest. But God is not that. In the heart of God, what's important to Him is the person, the heart of that person. He sends Nathan. You know, praise God if we have Nathans in our lives who can speak the truth in love. So going back to our scripture, here comes Nathan. After hearing this from David, this is what Nathan said. You are the man. Not in an accusing manner, but it was a loving manner to show him his sin. It would be good for us to win people in the kingdom of God and not be condemning, not being critical on them, but understand where they are, not to allow their sin, but to point out their sin. That's our sin. This is the story of God. So what was David's response to God's grace? You can find this in verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, Now this is where the grace of God comes in. The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. You need to understand this is not just physical death. David knew that it was eternal death. He knew that the penalty for sin is death, not just physical, but it was kind of a spiritual death. And yet Nathan says, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. According to my standard or our standard, looking at it, he should die. He's an adulterer. He's a murderer. He should die. We should bring this to court. You know, let's have people's power. Get him out. Never the heart of God. And what's amazing about God's wonderful grace, the power of God's grace, is that it does not make any sense. How can a God look at us lovingly apart from what we have done wrong to Him. We do not deserve the grace of God. As I was just preparing this message, I was just crying before God, and I was saying, God, how true. I do not deserve your grace. We cannot just put down this this grace that God has for us. We need to embrace it so tight until the end. Amen. Now, God is not in the business of condemning people, but convincing them so that true repentance and genuine change would come. That's the business of God. If you look at the story of the Bible, really, again, it's not about the perfect example, 
but it's the perfect grace of God that changes everything. And before I end, this is my main point. The power of sin is great, but the power of God's grace is even greater. Amen? Lastly, Romans 5.20 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Let me just speak to you candidly today. We may be leaders today. You may be a father. You may be a husband. Somehow you are a leader. We need to see this very important lesson from the life of David. Do not underestimate the power of sin. Amen. If there are seeds there that are not right, take them down. Do not allow the seeds to fall into a ground that will sprout up like, you know, big sin. Stop it from there. And embrace the power of God's grace. Someone said, if you hold on long enough to the grace of God until we see Him, then we could have power over sin. Every single day of our lives, we need God's grace. Because left to our own, the power of sin, we have no control over. Amen? So let's pray. Let's just bow down our heads and pray. Father, thank you. You said in your word that your grace is sufficient for all of us, God. And all we need to do is just embrace that grace. Lord, thank you, God, that there is no amount of sin that you cannot forgive. The greatest manifestation of your grace, Lord, is through your Son, Jesus Christ, who came on here to earth, who died the death that we should have died. Lord, I pray, as a church, whatever sin that we have committed in the past, whatever thing that we're doing now, Lord, we just pull it aside, we take it out from our hearts. There are other seeds of envy, seeds of bitterness, offenses, sin of pride, seeds of pride, seeds of being self-centered, whatever seed that may be that will cause us to sin. Lord, we surrender before you. In fact, that is you. Can you just pray this prayer? Pray your own prayer. Let's take just a few seconds. Just, you know, this is between you and God. Need not lift up your hand anymore. Just say, God, this I surrender to you. Whatever it is. Lust, greed, whatever it is, Lord. All these seeds. Lord, thank you, God. Forgive us, Lord God. We come to your saving grace today. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your one and only Son to die for us so that in our place, there will be forgiveness of sin. Lord, you shed His blood so that we may receive your forgiveness. So, Lord, we receive your forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to one of our podcasts. We hope it blesses and inspires you to honor God and make disciples. For more messages like these or to access other resources, please visit victory.org.ph or download the Victory app for free on the iTunes Store or Google Play. 
If you would like to share a story of God's faithfulness in your life, please visit victory.org.ph slash my story. 